Thank you for joining us for our weekly Calvary Church podcast. Please take a moment and visit InvernessCalvary.com to get connected with us. We want to know what God is doing in your life through this ministry. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you may do so online. Now prepare your heart for a word that we pray will bless your life. Well, good morning, church. It is great to be with you and, uh, uh, and filling in for Pastor Otis, a dear friend and a brother, as he said. I'm so glad he still claims me. Uh, it's, it's awesome to be able to hang out with him so often um, uh, we're, that we're in Inverness. And um, we get a chance to do so about every Tuesday. We're the, the FCA at IMS uh, right here at Inverness Middle School. And he, gets, uh, he hangs out with me and our son, Josiah Michael. And so we get to uh, spread the gospel there at the Inverness Middle School. How cool is that right there uh, in the, in the uh, gymnasium? And then Pastor Otis operating in his deep spiritual gifts, goes to breakfast with us and encourages my son to put entirely too much syrup on his pancakes, okay? So, uh, so yeah, uh, but, uh, but it's, it's great to be here with you guys this morning. My wife, Jennifer, could not be here. She's in obligations to, to Cornerstone this morning, but it is splendid to be back with you. I, was, I joined you uh, six months ago, uh, almost, when Pastor Otist uh, assumed the mantle of full leadership responsibility here at Calvary. And it was such a, a, a blessing uh, to be a part of that service and a rich time of worship as it was here this morning. And so Pastor Otis has asked me to... Um, Come and continue in the series, uh, d- developing a culture of honor, um, as we talk about what it is to honor our spiritual leaders. And in fact, I'd just like to do something really quickly. Uh, Pastor Luke and the team that led us just a moment ago, can we just share some honor with them, uh, with what they just did for us and ushering us into the presence of God? Really cool. A rich time. Um, just a rich time. And uh, I, I tell you, so we're going to be talking this morning about uh, honoring spiritual leaders, th- those in authority spiritually over us. And i got to be honest with you, I mean, uh, listen, I, I, this is the deal. I mean, you see the news clippings, you see uh, the, the news stories, you read the papers like I do. Let me just, um, I'm going to just read to you just really quickly as we get going this morning, five um, titles, five headlines. I'm ripping straight from the newspapers, uh, straight from the news um, about pastors. Um, five of them. Four of them are, 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 all of them are this year. Four of them are in the past five months. Here's one of them Pastor fired for alcoholism. Pastor removed from Acts 29 megachurch for, quote, historical pattern of sin. This is a little older one right here. Six outrageously wealthy preachers now under federal investigation. Church youth pastor arrested on rape and kidnapping charges. Winter garden pastor accused of running gambling operation in his garage, serving booze to kids. I mean, it's easy, it's easy to just hear those stories, and you, you know these stories. You, you, you've read them. You, you're aware of them, some of them. You know the names. You know the heartbreak. You know what it's like when a pastor, a spiritual leader, a Sunday school teacher, an elder, a deacon, it doesn't matter, uh, jumps from grace. We always say we, use the, we fall from grace. No, 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 no. Sin is always intentional. Um, it is in these uh, men's lives right here that I just read to you. But it comes with deep pain and sorrow, uh, regret, guilt, tearing. Um, And it's easy to see these stories. It's easy to be aware of these stories, to acknowledge them, and and just think, "Mm, yep, see those preachers. 
Those spiritual leaders, those pastors, I tell you, they're nothing but a bunch of hacks. They're, they're a bunch of thieves, or, or worse, they're, they're even predatory. They're predatory in nature. It's easy to think that. I, I just want to tell you this, though. I want to humbly, uh, come humbly to you this morning, not as a pastor, really, but as a brother, uh, and talk about honoring spiritual leadership in spite of the, the flaws, in spite of some of the mistakes, uh, in, in, spite of, in spite of some of the decisions that are made inside the confusion that takes place sometimes in a church. Because here's the deal. What I want to really get across to your hearts this morning is this, that dishonoring uh, spiritual leadership, dishonoring spiritual authority comes with consequences. It always has. It always will. In fact, if we look at any page, any book of the Bible, there's, there's this element, there's this theme that just runs consistently through God's Scripture. But I want to take us to a man who knew more about it than most, unfortunately, a man named David. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6. And as you're turning to 2 Samuel 6, let me kind of set the, the, the stage for us. Let me kind of make sure we're all on the, pay, the same page, so to speak. Um, David is king now. David is king, and, and, uh, but there's some trouble in the land. There's been some, they've kind of emerged from some deep times. You see, God's people, not so long ago, uh, they had entered into the promised land, and they had the law guiding them. They had God himself guiding them. It was a theocracy. I am your leader. I am your king. I am your God. Everything's good. I've got you. I put you here, didn't I? I rescued you from Egypt and Pharaoh, didn't I? I'm, I got this. And then there was this cry that came out of God's people, and it went like this. Give us a king. Give us a king. Give us a king. God, we want to be like all those nations around us. Give us a king. And how ironic and how heartbreaking that must have been to God for them to say, give us a king. We want to be like all the other people because God set them up to be unlike every other people. Give us a king. God warned them. God described what it would look like. He articulated what it would be. People said, give us a king. And so he gave them Saul. A man who literally stood head and shoulders above every other man in all of Israel. Handsome, the right family, everything. And in the book of 1 Samuel, uh, when he is coronated as king, in my Bible it's a whole page and a half. It's a whole page and a half later that the brother loses his mind. He begins to make sinful decisions. He begins to lead the people into disarray. Uh, uh, the enemies around the nation of Israel grow stronger. And so um, the, the, the God's heart's breaking. Uh, the people are suffering. And so God sends a man named Samuel uh, to the house of Jesse. And, and he is his charge, his, his job that day is to anoint the next king of Israel. And so he goes to Jesse's house. He looks at all the boys that ain't the one. Got any more sons? Yeah, there's the runt of the litter. He's out taking care of the sheep. Bring him. And it's David, ruddy, good-looking kid. Uh, and Samuel sees him and says, this is him. This is the one. So they anoint him as king. And guess what happens next? Nothing. Nothing. David goes back to taking care of sheep. He's anointed king. He is anointed king. And he just continues to watch Saul lead the people of God into the spiraling cycle of sin and rebellion and, and brokenness. 
It's not long um, across the pages of 1 Samuel that um, Saul ends up dying in battle against the Philistines, the, the enemies of God's people, along with his sons in battle, Jonathan and others. David becomes king in the closing pages of, of chapter of Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. Um, as we turn in the, into 2 Samuel here, David is now king and he is riding the ship. He is uh, merging the northern kingdom with the southern kingdom. He's now the monarch over the unified kingdom. He is restoring worship of the Most High in the land. He is setting up his, his government. He's setting up his establishing his kingdom. And, and, and he is um, operating fully in the name of God, so much so that God says, he's like a man after my own heart. And, and so the, 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 the task before David uh, in this story we're going to read in a moment is he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant uh, back to Jerusalem, back to the city of David, the city of Zion, to the capital. The Ark of the Covenant, it's that box that Indiana Jones was always looking for, right? Okay, you know what I'm saying? The Nazis were always there, right? Yeah. So, uh, so he's bringing the, the, the box, the Ark of the Covenant, back to, to, um, to, to Israel into the capital because it is the physical representation of the presence of God on earth. I want it next to my throne, says David. And so they're doing that, but there's a mistake. There's a little hiccup. They're not doing it the way they, that God wanted them to. And actually God moves in a, in a mighty way and actually strikes one of the guys down dead as they're moving the Ark. And David's all broken hearted. He's upset. He parks the Ark of the Covenant at Obed-Edom's house and does some research and comes back and finally says, we were doing it wrong. Let's go get the Ark. Let's bring God's presence fully into our land. Let's put him right here at our capital where he belongs. And so that's what we're doing. That's the genesis of this story here as we look at 2 Samuel chapter 6 beginning in verse 16. As the Ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed amongst all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, a cake of raisins to each one. And then all the people departed, each to their house. And David returned to his house to give a blessing, but Mihel the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel has honored himself today, uncovering himself before the eyes of his servants and his female servants as one of the vulgar fellows shamely, shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Mihel, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will make merry before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes, but by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in high honor. And Mihel, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Um, let's 
uh, let's answer a question that may be on your minds and your hearts right now as we read this passage because you're thinking, now wait a second, David. Uh, you said, Pastor Otta said that you were going to come and speak today on honoring spiritual leadership. David's not a spiritual leader. He's a king. He's a governmental leader. Brother wears a crown. He has a standing army. He makes economic decisions. He entertains dignitaries. He's, a, he's not a religious leader, David. He, he is a, he's a governmental leader. He's a monarch. He's a king. Okay, I, I'm going to give you that. Uh, but, but let's just say this. If we are to dismiss David killing Goliath because he was defaming the name of the Lord, if we are to dismiss the fact that David served as a worship leader in Saul's court, if we are to dismiss the fact that David wrote, I don't know, 73 or so of the Psalms in the book of Psalms, we still are confronted with some very priestly, some very spiritual leadership realities in this very story here. For example, we see David transporting the Ark of the Covenant. We see David has built a tent for it. We see David has made peace offerings for the people. He has made burnt offerings for the people. Uh, he has ushered a, a blessing over the people, and he's going to do that for his own home. So can we just agree that David is also a spiritual leader? Good, because it was going to get really awkward if you said no. <laughs> Thanks. Good, good, good. Okay, so here's the deal. David, whose name means beloved, is married to a woman, uh, Mahel, uh, the, the youngest daughter of, of King Saul. He's married to Mahel, whose name means what is God like? And based on the story that I've just read to you, the answer is not much like you. It's an interesting story. She's the youngest daughter of King Saul. She gets the hots for David after he's the young shepherd boy uh, who makes primetime news by killing that giant, right? And so he's the latest and greatest thing in all of Israel. So she, she, uh, she has her eyes set on him, and, and everything's fine. King Saul's like, whatever. Uh, but then David begins to grow even in more fame, and so he's thinking, oh, my gosh, David's a threat to my throne. Uh, I better, you, you can marry him, but um, you got to give me a dowry. You've got you to give me some payment for my, my, my girl here. And so it's not livestock that King Saul asks for. It's not cash. It's not land. I'm not making this up. Read the Bible. It is 104 skins of Philistines. Can't even make this kind of stuff up. Because what Saul's thinking is here is as David's kind of going out and doing this, eventually one of those Philistine warriors are going to kill David, and, and this, this whole David problem is going to be taken care of. So David goes out, and he just ups the ante. He doesn't come back to King Saul with 100 Philistine foreskins. He comes back with 200 Philistine foreskins. That's how this wedding started, guys, okay? Can you just imagine David coming back with a bag, you know, like dumping it out? 197, 198, 199, 200. Uh, that's how this marriage begins. It's a little strange in your ears and in our culture. I get it. And you might be thinking, now how could a relationship like that that started on that strong ground jump the tracks? Well, we're going to see that it's dishonor. That's how it jumped the tracks. And I think that there's two uh, important truths for us to digest and for uh, the Holy Spirit to just embed in our hearts this morning uh, as we live our lives in relationship with each other but also uh, underneath the spiritual authority of our pastors. And so let's just jump in here. The first thing is this. Um, dishonor comes from the heart. 
Let's talk about dishonor. Let's just uncover this thing for a moment. Dishonor comes from the heart. Um, here's what we have right here in verse 16. When Michal saw David, she despised him. Where? In her heart. Dishonor, like every other sin, comes from the heart. That's what we're told. She sees David through the window upstairs in the palace, looking down into the street, she sees David dancing, and she despises him in her heart. Now, I don't know. I mean, I, we're not told in the original Hebrew here. Maybe David's breaking it down. Maybe David's twerking in the streets, okay? You know, may, maybe he's got some Beyonce on. I don't know. Uh, but may, maybe he's doing a little dirty dancing. I, I don't think so because when confronted, David says, I was dancing before the Lord. Okay, I was dancing before the Lord. And, and she, she takes her despising of David and, and, and it becomes, well, it becomes dishonor. The sin that she had in her heart becomes public and she dishonors David, the spiritual leader. Yes, he's king, but he's also a spiritual leader as we pointed out. Dishonor always comes from the heart, friends, because all sin comes from the heart. At least that's what that Jesus guy said. I mean, if you look back in, 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 I think it's Matthew 15, it'll be on the screen, I think, but Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's teaching the religious leaders of the day. He's teaching anybody who will listen, and they're asking him about traditions and commandments, and Jesus says these words in Matthew 15, 19, it's out of the heart that come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are the things that defile a person. Friends, we all get caught up on our habits your habits are not your problem. I love you. I promise you it's your heart. And that's just what Jesus said. He said, oh, okay. Well, I mean, let's think about this. Gossip. Why does gossip exist? Because slander is in a heart, says Jesus. Here we are in the West. We're, we're uh, cooped up in this wonderful place, freely worshiping God, and we have to wrap our, 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 our Western civilization minds around the, 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 the existence of this thing called ISIS. Why does ISIS a thing? Why does ISIS exist? Oh, Jesus says because there's evil and murder embedded in people's hearts. Why is pornography a 100 billion, that's with a B, 100 billion dollar a year industry each and every year? It's because sexual immorality has a grip on hearts, says Jesus, right here in Matthew 15. Dishonor comes from the heart. All sin comes from the heart. Well, that which is private, that's, that we are under the reign of, that we are under the grip of, is going to always become public. It does in this passage right here. Mihel is not content. Mihel is not content to stay upstairs looking through the window. She's not content to stay in the palace. The Bible says that she comes out and meets David in the streets. She's taking her, dishonest, uh, her dishonor uh, to the road, literally, okay? She's going public with this because that's where dishonor thrives. It's just dragging the name, dragging the leader through the mud, defaming him or her in the eyes of others. The Bible says that Mihel comes out to meet David and levels the accusations against him. What's private always becomes public. Let's just be real with our hearts for a moment this morning. I mean, what good is a secret if it's not exposed? What, what good is an evil thought if we don't air it? What's wrong with a little a gossip if, if we don't share it? That which is private will become public. That's what Jesus says. Dishonor comes from our hearts. 
All sin comes from our hearts. But I'll tell you this, it doesn't come alone. Dishonor always comes with consequences. It has a traveling companion. And when we give in to dishonor, what happens is we pay a price for it. Boy, these are some sad and gripping words that we're left with here in the 23rd verse. I'll read them to you again. And Mihel, absolutely we're led to believe by the writer of 2 Samuel, uh, and Mihel, the direct consequence of this, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Now listen, in a room this size, um, there's no doubt at least a woman or two that's here that has never experienced the, 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 the joy of motherhood. In no, in no way, listen to me, church, in no way am I uh, accusing you of, of dishonoring spiritual, uh, spiritual authority or spiritual leaders in your life. I'm just saying that Michal was. This was a direct consequence of her publicly dishonoring not just her king, not just her husband, but her spiritual leader. She never experienced the joys of motherhood. Secondly, let's just get, let's just get a little, go a little deeper here. Uh, her family line, it ends. Daddy's dead. King Saul's gone. Brothers are killed in battle. Uh, there's one or two other. Um, Mephibosheth is out there. But, but her distinct family line ends when she breathes her last. But thirdly, and by far the most important, she doesn't have a child to take care of her, preferably, no offense, ladies, preferably a son. Because in this culture, in this environment, in this era, it was the sons who were charged with the caregiving of their mothers. They were able to make executive decisions. They were able to uh, have the law on their side. They could have a voice in the courts. They could own land. They were charged by God, you know this, to care for their mothers. And so Mihel has no child. She has no daughter. She has no son to care for her. She's paying the price for dishonoring the spiritual leadership in her life. This is not an isolated event, guys. This is not an isolated story. This is not, whoops, I dishonored a spiritual leader in my life and I paid a price for it. Every time in Scripture that God's spiritual leaders that he has anointed, that he has called, that he has appointed, that every time that they are dishonored, there's a price to pay. Let, let's check me here. Ready? Miriam and Aaron, the brother and sister of Moses, when they started calling out against Moses publicly, what happened? Come on, Sunday school class, what happened? Leprosy, that's right. How about Korah, not long after? Korah with a K. They start open rebellion against Moses. Love this story. How's this one in? The ground opens up, swallows them. Okay, moving on. <laughs> what did he do? I don't want to do what he did. Okay, let's move into the New Testament. There's a story in, in, the, in the Gospels where Jesus, man, he is, he is calling people. He has announced his public ministry. He's preaching. He's performing miracles. He's raising the dead. He's feeding uh, the hungry. I mean, he's, he's giving sight to the blind. All these marvelous and miraculous things Jesus is doing. And then the Bible tells us early on in his public ministry, he goes back home. He goes to Nazareth. He goes to Galilee. Um, and the Bible tells us, the writers of the Gospels tell us this sad reality, that Jesus could do no mighty work among them. Why? Because they were skeptical. They were cynical. They did not honor him. And Jesus says, where is a prophet without honor? In his hometown, amongst his family, in his household. 
And the consequence was Jesus could do no mighty work there. Perhaps one of the clearest teachings in all of Scripture about the consequences that we face when we dishonor spiritual leaders comes to us from 2 Kings chapter 2. It's this amazing story of Elisha the prophet, not to be confused with Elijah the prophet, whom he has succeeded, but Elisha. The guy who has the double anointing of God's Spirit upon his life over Elijah. And Elijah has gone to be with Jesus, okay? And so Elisha is interchanging with the prophets there. He's kind of giving some direction. He has set some things straight. He's made some decrees. He's done some mighty miracles all on his own so far. And he leaves Jericho headed up to Bethel. And there's some kids there. I believe the the Hebrew term is punks, okay? And, and, um, And they come out. And they come out and they call and say, go up, you bald head, go up. And I, I, look, I don't know what Elisha looked like, okay? I have no idea what the dude looked like. That's not important. But perhaps, perhaps the brother was follically challenged. I don't know. And, and, and if so, maybe he was a, little, he was a little edgy about it, you know. So as he's going up to, to Bethel and these kids come out, there's all these boys, they always his boys, uh, they say, go up, you bald head, go up. Um, Elisha turns to them. And curses them in the name of the Lord. Keeps on going. The Bible tells us this. Two she-bears come out of the woods and kill them. Forty-two of them. I love the King James Version here. And two she-bears came out and smote forty and two of them. Don't mess with the Lord's anointed. Don't dishonor the spiritual leaders that God has put in authority over your life. So let me ask the question, because I think it's appropriate at this juncture. Let me just ask the question. I love you. I humbly ask you this question. So um, what consequences are you facing? Or your family? Or your children? Or your business? Because there's been some spiritual dishonor of those in authority by God over you. Let's let the Holy Spirit help you answer that question as we bring the story forward 3,000 years. Um, Let's put the rubber on the road, so to speak. Those are the two things that I think are embedded in this passage that we need to learn from. But let's just, let's put some meat on this bone. Let's learn how to live out this passage going from this place this morning. The first thing I'll say is this. um, It's possible to disagree without dishonoring. It's absolutely possible to disagree without dishonoring your spiritual leader. Now, it doesn't happen in this story. The, the disagreement leads to dishonoring. I get that, but it is absolutely possible. Don't believe me? Just flip over to Acts 15. Great story about this man named Saul who's murdering Christians. Jesus rescues him, changes him so much as to change his name to Paul. And then Paul is trusted, is befriended by this man named Barnabas. They go on missionary journeys. They are moving from continent to continent, planting churches. And that brother is writing what you and I now know to be the New Testament. And Acts 15 happens. Now Acts 15, boom. Everything, just, the Bible says that there's a disagreement between Barnabas and Paul. In fact, in my translation and yours as well, it says there's a sharp disagreement. Right, Sunday school? Right? Sharp disagreement. And I hate that. I hate that. And I wish that those couple lines weren't in the chronicle of Acts 15, but they are. Here's what's encouraging, though, which is what the Holy Spirit points out. 
It's how those two men handled that disagreement and how they didn't handle that disagreement, which is more important. It wasn't like Paul jumps on Twitter. 1.4 million followers calling out that, that, that Barnabas fellow, hashtag heretic, you know. It, it, it's, it's, not like, it's not like Barnabas jumps on Facebook and gets all passive-aggressive, you know, like, well, I guess his calling's more important than my calling. No, we don't see that. They don't say stuff that they go on to regret. They don't dishonor each other. They just go, brother, you go, I'm heading. And that's encouraging to me. We don't have to dishonor just because we disagree. I'll, I'll say this. I'll quote a preacher. I don't know his name. I'll, I'll, I, I, I wish I knew who said this, but it's true. He said, in Samson's day, the jawbone of an ass was a dangerous weapon. It's still a dangerous weapon today. Right? I, I wish I could know who to quote there. <laughs> it's great. I'm sure he was a Baptist preacher. I was <laughs> They didn't say anything that they lived to regret. They disagreed, and they went about glorifying God. We can disagree. The Spirit of God wants unity within His body. I'm telling you that. You know that. Um, But when we disagree, we must do so with honor, with respect, with dignity. And, oh, here we go. This is going to be the hard one. This is the the dirty word. With submission. Mm, Everybody just groans on that one. That is not a popular word today, is it? Friends, can we just, I don't want to get political, I don't want to get political, but just look at what's going on in our nation right now. We disagree. I, something happened a couple Tuesdays ago. I don't know what it was. Our nation has lost its mind. I mean, we are not living in a nation of honor right now. And I'm not taking political sides. I'm just saying we're not honoring those that we disagree with. We are dishonoring. Let it not be in the household of faith. Friends, we can disagree without dishonoring. Let's move on. Sometimes your disagreement is just your misunderstanding. Okay, how many of y'all ever heard David dance naked? All right. No, really? None of y'all ever heard David dance naked? Okay, a couple of you guys. You're going to admit it. Okay, this is the passage we get that from. But the thing is, we don't see David dancing naked, do we? Let's just talk about this whole naked David dancing thing. Because that's the accusation that Mihal levels against David, the spiritual leader and the king of the nation. Um, she comes down and she says, look at you. Oh, how you've honored yourself. You've uncovered yourself as the shameless fellows do, those vulgar men do, and all the girls are seeing you in your shame. Um, if you read 1 Chronicles 15, the sister telling of this story, here's what the writer of 1 Chronicles tells us. Clearly, not once but twice, that David was wearing a fine linen robe like the Levites, the, the full-on spiritual leaders of the day. He's dressed with them, Okay. And he's also wearing a linen ephod. He's got the marks of spiritual leader literally on his vestments. And Mihel comes out and says, look at you uncovering yourself. She's not saying that he's naked. What is she saying? She's saying, why are you dressed like a spiritual leader? You're the king. You should have on the robe. You should have on the crown. GQ photographers are coming. Is this how you want to look on the cover of the magazine? This is not how daddy would do it. And I love how David responds. He says, you're right, it's not how your dad would do it. I don't even care how your dad would do it because the Lord chose me over him. He chose me over his entire household. 
is what David says. And I will dance before him. I will be a base before him. You are upset that I don't look like an earthly king. I'm a spiritual leader. I'm honoring God. You pressed in on the quiet moment here. You're trying to step between me and my Lord. It's not a place for you to be. Sometimes our disagreements stems from our misunderstanding. We, we just need to know. So let me, can I just talk about Otis Barnett for a moment? Will that be okay? We better be careful. We better be careful. Because sometimes we won't want to disagree with our pastor or Pastor Carl or Pastor Luke. Let me just tell you something, church. I love you. I love you. Listen, you don't know their call. And you don't. And I'm living under a call. Let me be a preacher just for a moment. I'm living under a call. We don't know the obligation that our pastors here at Calvary are under. We don't know perhaps the terrifying words that Jesus has whispered to their hearts. Listen, he's listening to him. He's serving him as he leads you. Does that make sense? So be very careful Brothers and sisters, how you speak to your pastors. Be very careful, friends, um, what you think about your pastors. The disagreement might be from your misunderstanding. And this is the last thing I'll say. Every spiritual leader has authority, and they're under authority. It's true of every pastor at my church. It's true of every pastor at your church. Every single pastor that you know has authority of some kind, some measure. Who knows? And they are under authority. I promise you. Every pastor at my church, every pastor at your church. In fact, Pastor Carl, is he not under authority? Does he have authority? Pastor Luke, does he have authority? Is he under authority? Pastor Otis, does he have authority? And is he under authority? Absolutely he is. In fact, Pastor Otis might have the most demanding boss of them all. He is a jealous God is what he says. Just remember that, friends. So I'm sitting in seminary years ago in Orlando, and um, we're in Ministry of Vocation, Dr. Dinkins' class, and um, there's a new guy. He's, I'm in the back. I always sit in the back. And there's a new guy kind of sitting in the middle of the class, and he's at least 20 years older than me at the time, and he's Hispanic, uh, and he's and I knew like what his little back back about his backdrop that he was coming um, out of the Catholic Church. He was a priest, and so we're talking about what it was like to be a pastor. The whole class, the entire semester, was what it was like to be a pastor. Ministry of vocation, and um, I'll never forget that night. He's he's talking. He says, "Well, you know, a lot of you guys know that like." Um, I'm coming, I was a Catholic priest, and and like as I studied the Word of God, uh, you know, this whole celibacy thing, I don't see the scriptural calling for it. Like all the pastors in the room are like, word, you know. And um, and he continues, he says, you know, but it's interesting. As I've made this transformation out of the Catholic church uh, into uh, this church, as as I've gone from being a priest to a pastor, and here's what I have come to realize Man, I make a decision, they question me. I make a statement, and they want to argue with me. I, I make a set of direction, they want to nitpick it. And I'm like, welcome to the Reformation, bro. <laughs> Protestants, they got pitchforks and torches and aren't afraid to use them. I mean, here's this guy who's 
making this transition. And I wish it weren't the case. I wish that he could stand before his people and say, this is what the Lord has said. And the people say, amen, let it be done. Let it be done through us. Every leader with spiritual authority is under authority. It was true of David. If you don't believe me, look at this passage right here. He's operating in governmental authority and spiritual authority. He has much authority. But he is also a man who knows that he is under authority. Don't believe me? Just flip over two more pages. Read of the debacle that is associated with his sin with Bathsheba, his murder of her husband, his best friend. And then see Nathan the prophet get called by God to go into the throne room of the king. Can you imagine Nathan just for a moment? Can we get Ezekiel to do that? <laughs> it's, it's I heard Jeremiah was available. <laughs> you know, why, why me? Okay, there's another man under the calling of God. And Nathan goes and he speaks to David. And he says, you are that man. And what happens, man? This contrite, broken, yet beautiful and hope-giving psalm Psalm 51 comes out of that scandal because David realized he might have much authority as a spiritual leader, but he is under authority as well. Can I just say this? I've been, I've been preaching for 21 years. Here's what I've realized about the greatest spiritual leaders. It's not a measure of how much authority they have or uh, anointing or how talented they may be or their giftings. It's not. I have found that the greatest spiritual leaders, um, they have this memory at heart. They're more afraid of him than them. And that describes Otis Barnett. That describes your pastor. He's deeply concerned with the will of God for this church in this corner of the kingdom. And so I pray that the things that we've discussed here from God's Word this morning will absolutely impact your relationship with one another and with, you know, with your Sunday school teachers, your elders, your deacons, your, it doesn't, and your pastors. And that you will avoid, that you will ruthlessly eliminate dishonor from your lives. It has deep consequences. And the glory of God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, is on the line. They're watching what we do. They're listening to what we say. Let us act and speak with honor. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed this message from Calvary Church. For more information on this message or to listen to other teachings, visit us at InvernessCalvary.com. Connect with us for all the latest news on services, events, and more through our website or by following us on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for listening, and God bless.